Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Lion's Guide podcast, where we take on topics in performance and personal growth by exploring the success stories of our guests and the lessons they've learned. I interview other subject matter experts, and I also review books and other resources to help us all establish clarity, build courage, and lead. I'm your host, Dale Walls. I'm founder of Lion's Guide. And on this episode, I am back with Craig Stanlin, author of Blank Canvas and Ultra Habits podcast host, RJ Singh. And, uh, you know, we're just getting back at it because, you know, we had a podcast episode 46 uh, where we were talking about, you know, we intended to talk about our own high performance habits. And naturally, we just landed with talking about the mindset it takes to really just adopt uh, high performance habits. And so we wrapped that up, which was an awesome conversation. I think completely appropriate uh, foundational uh, discussions in, you know, living a life of high performance. And uh, we all agreed, man, we got to get back on the horn and do this again. So we got back on. That is this episode. So here today, you know, again, we we dive a little bit more into high performance habits. I, I felt like this conversation is a little bit more strategic, um, but we also talk about the impacts of some of the things that we're doing in our daily routine, such as uh, meditation, uh, how we're dealing with the distractions of social media, uh, sleep pattern, a whole lot more. So uh, it's a great conversation. Uh, you're going to get a ton out of it. I, I know I did. So um, before we get started, if you like the sound of that, hey, hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss any of our other great guests and content, which might even include a part three with these guys. Uh, we're rolling pretty good with these conversations, so we just might do it again. But Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss that. And uh, as always, this podcast is sponsored by Lions Guide. And uh, do me a favor. Go out there, lionsguide.com. Join the free member community called The Pride. It's free. All these podcasts, all the podcasts that have not been released yet, uh, reading list, all the live lectures. There's just a ton of content just piling up out there to... Do just that. Help us grow. And so I've been enjoying the journey with everyone that's been contributing to the platform. And I appreciate all the feedback and the reviews everyone's been kicking out and what they've been getting out of it as well. So get out there, check it out. Uh, and that way you can keep an eye on what else I've got going on. You know, I'm hosting some workshops and to get some engagement up in, in improving uh, your performance. I, I love that. I love the engagement with the community and the members hopping on the workshops and things like that. So get out there, check it out. The stuff in the pride is free. So go to lionsguide.com and join today. With that said, let's start the show. everyone hey welcome back to part two of habits of high performers i'm joined again by craig stanlin reinvention architect author of blank canvas and my man rj singh from the down under host of the ultra habits podcast uh both have been on previously uh craig episode 22 rj episode 28 and together on episode 46 which this is a part two to that gents welcome back my friends how we doing Doing very well. How are you? Good. Hanging in there. I'm really well too, Dallas. Really good to connect with you guys again. RJ, what's what's good in your world? Well, it's uh, five in the morning. We had a time change since we last set the uh, agenda. I do appreciate early mornings, but this one was a little bit hard, but I did get here on time. And uh, what kind of held me up was a dog needed to go poo. So I had to walk the dog. That was unintended, but I am here now. 
We had we had RJ. We had much different pre-recording <laughs> routines. I went for a nice beach walk. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> it depends. It depends what time of day. Like my dog is developed a habit now of letting me take him out for a walk before I go to work. So I take him out usually around five a.m. And that's because I don't like him pooing on the yard. Mm-hmm. And so if I don't take him out, my wife will let him out and he'll poo and someone will invariably step in it and take it in the house. And I'm very, um, things like that really don't uh, sit well with me. So yeah, that's my morning routine. That's the first thing I do. Is that RJ, is that the first thing that you do in the morning is walk the dog? Is that like, has that become part of your, your routine? Like you've incorporated that into, you know, the flow of your day? Yeah. So that's a very good question. So I wake up, I walk straight into the kitchen. My clothes are sitting on the kitchen table, my gym clothes. The fish food is already out and the dog food, the kibble's already out. So I pour the fish food in the bowl. I pour the dog meat along the kibble and then I get the dog and we walk straight out, poo, pee, bring them in, put them in, get into the car and go. So there's minimal movement, minimal opportunity for me to wake anyone up everything is kind of preset the night before and that dog does make up part of that morning routine so i guess for context everyone why we're here today is not about dog food and fish food in case you're wondering but uh you know the first time we got together we were going to talk about high performance habits and what you know and, and share our stories and all that stuff and and rightfully so we got all into mindset and uh and i, I see we're Craig's going with this, right? He's, he's trying to get to what, how our days look like, but I want to make sure everyone knew what we we're what we we're dragging you into today, which is that, which is like we talked a lot of uh, theoreticals last time. I thought it was right, and I and, and I told people after I said, you know, what was awesome is that, you know, we got on here to talk about you know our habits and what makes us high performers and all that stuff, but. I think naturally you all went to, hey, timeout. Before we start talking about that, we got to talk about how your head's functioning. So if you're listening to this and you didn't listen to 46, you know, listen to that because uh, I think that's the that was a great precursor. And then today we want to jump into just that. Like, what what does that look like tactically? You know, how what's our what's our high performance strategies? What's our you know, what I call strategies, operations, and tactics, right? Like what's our, what's our overall strategy? What do we, how do we operate? What's a, what do we do tactically, tactfully, tactly? Man, I cannot talk that. It is only freaking Tuesday. Just figuring out like how we operate just to kind of share the war stories, if you will. So, so RJ, you, you, <laughs> you, you walk the dog, the dog has a nice poo, the fish are all fed. How, how do you get all the good stuff in? Everything is a process, and everything's the good stuff, right? <clears throat> and so I, during the week, I put real guardrails on how I operate to ensure that I can do the breadth of shit I need to do. The weekends are very different, completely unplanned. I do have things that I need to do, but I also know that if I have a checklist on the weekend, it will impact the experience of the family time because I'll be checklist orientated. So I need to understand, first of all, again, as we talked about in the previous episode, I know myself, I know my system. So yeah, during the week, it's very much about guardrails, setting myself up for success. And, you know, whilst Craig picked that, that little anecdote, but there's validity in that whole model. It starts off from the night before, 
Um, Craig, I'm sure you relate to that, yeah? Oh, absolutely. My, my morning routine starts the night before. It involves, um, in my case, setting up my yoga mat and my meditation stool and my red light because I meditate in front of a juve red light. So I have all of that set up so I don't have to do it in the morning. I've got the uh, what I need for my coffee set up. Same idea. I just want to hit the ground running. So I really think that starting the night before is so critical. And another little thing that I do the night before is I did this consistently for a very long time, but I faded a little bit and I'm bringing it back in. But I once read that, uh, I believe it was Edison, didn't go to sleep at night without asking his subconscious mind a question. And so I'm getting back into the habit of thinking about what I want to do tomorrow, you know, um, the night before, what's important to me and what, what am I having a difficulty wrapping my head around. So I will, as I'm drifting off to sleep, think of that question and ask, ask that question. And in the morning, I'll repeat it. And the answer usually comes crystal clear. And that kind of sets a real nice tone for the remainder of my day to come downstairs, see that my yoga mat's all set up, see that my yoga um, bench is all set up and just hit the ground running into my routine from that point. So it really does start the night before. And, and so a couple of things for you, Craig, then what's the, what's the purpose of the red light? What's the intention of that? You said juve red light or something like that. What is, what is that? Juve red light. Um, there's been some scientific evidence that it is, it's good for your skin. It's good for um, testosterone production. It's got a lot of recuperative um, functions to it. And mm -hmm. so I will meditate in front of that. I'm kind of killing two birds with one stone. It yep. also works that the juve goes for a period of 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Any more than that, you kind of get diminishing returns on the effects of the red light. And that happens to be how long I want to meditate for. And it's also got a five minute cool down where the fan cools it down. So that inc I incorporate that into my meditation as well. What, uh, how long have you been doing that? So I've been, I've been meditating since prison. So eight years, obviously didn't have the red light in prison. The red light was purchased during the, um, was purchased during the pandemic. Just honestly doing some research. I'm going to be 49 this year, looking into natural ways to increase testosterone. And obviously you can do that through diet, but I found uh, Ben Greenfield talking extensively about red light therapy. And so I just, I started looking into that and looking at the efficacy of it. And, you know, I didn't have any blood work done, but honestly, anecdotally, um, I could feel the difference. Mm. Like how so? What, do you, what, are we what are we saying? Like, how do you feel different? Um, energy, just yeah. aliveness you know, aliveness and quite frankly, sexual performance. I mean, just really, you know, I can tell the difference. Yeah. A lot went there. I was like, man, we could really take this podcast a whole other direction right now, but I'm going to, I'm going to let you pass. We'll, we'll save that one for offline, but, it, but no, like, like that's awesome. Yeah. Like I said, I haven't heard that. So I'm, I'm taking notes here to kind of dig in myself and you know, so, so the red light exposure, is it a special kind of light? Like you say, is Jube like a name brand or like, like if someone says, man, like me, like what the heck is that? And we want to start digging into it. Like, how do you spell it? Would you red light G? It is uh, J double O, I think double V. There are other manufacturers out there. Juve mm. um, was endorsed by Ben Greenfield. So that's actually why I went that route. There sure. are less expensive options. Mm. So the the key with red light therapy is it's um it's got to be at a certain frequency for it to work. Mm. Uh, that's really the the key on it. Um, most of the manufacturers out there are producing red light with that. 
it's really interesting. It's a very bright, very intense red light produces very little heat. Mm-hmm. It's not like an infrared sauna. It produces very, very little heat, which is just a little bit um, counterintuitive to its appearance. Sure. And what do you just have like a, a lamp that you got the cover off and you just got the light in it or? It is, it is a rectangle with, I don't know how many tiny little lights in it. Um, you know, let's say that there are 80 little dime sized lights across the whole thing. Some of them light up, some of them to the naked eye appear to not light up, but those are actually emitting a light that we can't see. Mm. So it's a really, really interesting, interesting product. And it also, so I've been part of my habit as well is the gym that I am a member of has a full body red light along with a vibrational plate. So you stand on this vibrational plate and you go into this full body red light and it's, um, it really is good for muscle recovery and, you know, injury recovery, um, developing, uh, energy. What's really interesting is I, the, the machine that I use for my daughter to sleep, it emits different lights as well. And one of the lights that it emits that my wife puts on is the red light. And I don't know why she chooses that particular color, but it's on this kind of machine that also has, uh, you know, those, um, kind of emits that smoke, um, the stuff that, um, like the eucalyptus as well. So like you've got this red light with the eucalyptus smell and it's kind of like helping her sleep. It's interesting. I don't know if that's kind of, uh, in a similar way, uh, or the similar type of light that you're talking about, Craig, but it is interesting. It's also red as well. Yeah. I'm curious if that's the, the same one. I know that there are also benefits to, using the one that I use in the morning because of our circadian rhythm and just the way the light kind of hits the eye and helps wake people up. But I'm curious if it could be used in the reverse and help people sleep. Well, there you go. Yeah. What about the meditation side, Craig? Like that's what you've been doing since prison, but what is it? What does that mean to you? What impact does the meditation have? I think certainly in the last two years, there's been a ton of talk mindfulness and and its impact on mental health but what is it what has meditation been for you meditation so when we when the three of us were kind of talking offline about this episode i think one of the things that we had mentioned is um you know what maybe our non-negotiables are meditation mm-hmm. to me is a non-negotiable mm-hmm. uh that is something that i have to do every day and it's not about the 25 minutes that i sit it's about the 23 hours and 35 minutes of the rest of my day. That's where the impact comes in. And it took a long time for me to actually feel any benefits from it, um, which was frustrating. You know, when you go to the gym, you know, it takes a while before you see a little bit of growth, before you can run a little faster, before you can lift a little more weight, but there's something more tangible. But it wasn't until I was a couple of years into meditation and I can't remember exactly what happened. But it was something that would have elicited a response, a reaction, an immediate, visceral, angry reaction from me. And I just looked at it. I was able to take a step back from the situation. And I responded the way I wanted to respond. Mm. And I caught myself a couple of minutes later and was shocked that I did that. That was unlike who I was before going to prison. And I said, that's the meditation. And that really hooked me in. So meditation really allows me to take a step back from situations to respond the way that I want to respond. I feel that it gives me 
uh, a definitive sense of personal agency and sovereignty over my life. And it allows me to be much more in touch with my emotions, the things that I want to create. It enhances my writing. I think it enhances the work I do with my clients. And I think it, it enhances how I show up in relationships. So that really, that's, you know, of all the things I do, and I do a lot of things, that's like, I would say that's my one non-negotiable. Mm. Uh, any reason on your timing? Is that, is it 25 minutes in the morning and that's it for the day? Or kind of how are you structuring around the meditations? So that is, it's 25 minutes in the morning. Um, kind of like RJ, I have a little bit different weekend routine. I take a little bit of the structure away. So I do a shorter one um, on the weekends because I'd rather spend time in bed with my girlfriend, <laughs> you know, sleep in, enjoy life a little bit and relax. But um, the 20 minutes, honestly, I read somewhere that that's a good time. And then I added the five minutes just to do a little bit of like affirmation work, you know, to mm -hmm. think about some things that I'm struggling with. So I'll take that cool down period with the juve while the fan is running and just you know, try to um, do an affirmation that's tied to something that I'm stuck with. I, I have a question for both of you guys. So, so RJ, are you sleeping in on the weekend too? And I don't mean sleep in, but you, are you giving yourself extra time? Or are you up, uh, up and at them early just the same? It just depends on the kids, you know, like I, I, part of me wants to sleep in because I wake up super early on the weekdays, like the weekdays is we all can appreciate, like I'm on a machine, it's a machine, right? Uh, and I'm overlaying, you know, the need for creativity, but efficiency during the week. And so um, I'm on for a large part of the day from an hour's perspective. So mm. come the weekend, I crash. Um, so I don't exercise on the weekend. I'll exercise with my son now who's four but I don't actually exercise. I don't go for runs. I don't do anything that will diminish my energy because I want to give it to the kids and the family. Mm. Uh, and I would like to sleep in, but I, I kind of struggle with it because I feel when the baby kind of my 18 month old cries, I feel like I should go because my wife's with them during the week. So yeah. I guess to, to long way of answering your question, I'll sleep in if she like gets up to, to get my daughter, but if not, I'm up early again. So, um, finding times for rest for me is quite difficult. Um, because of just the way life is unfolded right now. So, um, yeah. As far as your week during a week routine is meditation, a part of your yeah. daily as well. It, it's interesting because it just, it just came back into my life. So, um, John, who we both are friends with, John Macasil, he kind of re-inspired me to get in back into meditation. And part of that was on the back of a conversation we had when he was telling me how he got into meditation. You know, he got up to feed his daughter and he was pissed off and like, why do I got to feed her? Then he started meditating and he does the mindfulness piece. And what's happened for me was when I started ultra running, because it took such a heavy commitment in the morning. I just found that when I was waking up to train for a two hour run or an hour and a half, the energy, my energy was already go, go, go. And so I'd wake up at four and I just get out the house to go for that run. And what happened was it sacrificed 
my time on the mat. And then I built this habit of just not meditating. And then my body kind of became dependent on movement in the morning. So when I tried to sit still, it was like, hey, you should be moving. And so I went through this whole piece for the last two years where meditation, after a very long period of formal meditation, kind of fell away. It's now back. What I'll do is when I wake up in that whole morning routine, I get into my office and I meditate in my office. We actually have a couch here and I'm generally in the office anytime between now till 7 a.m. and no one's here. So I, it's, it's kind of like I'll get into the office and I'll just sit and meditate. I find if I try to meditate at home before I leave to the office early on, I kind of feel this level of anxiety that I'm going to wake someone up and it actually doesn't work. So I find I, I kind of need to get to the office where it's quiet. Right now I'm at about 12 minutes um, and I'm trying a different style of meditation, something more around the mindfulness piece, just really focusing on the breath. Because what I want to do is part of the the impetus to engage meditation again is I want to increase my concentration power again. I feel like when I'm talking to people, I'm jumping around a lot in my head. I'm moving to what I feel is a result of the conversation. I'm holding less space for others. And I just feel like I'm not as grounded as I was when I was consistently meditating, you know, touching on what Craig talked about earlier. So yeah, I'm back in it, but uh, it's only been maybe a month RJ, yeah, have I, you? Oh, sorry. sorry. No, okay. <laughs> I was gonna say, RJ, have you? Have you in that month? Um, is it? Is it kind of similar to working out, where you have a little bit of muscle memory? Has it come back yeah. faster than it took to to get? Have you noticed? Um, yeah. You know, benefits. Yeah, if I consistently meditate for two days, even just like it was profound, and I think a lot of it might have been muscle memory, but. I remember the, the first day I meditated, and this didn't happen, the original. I mean, I started meditating in 2015, and I consistently meditated until 2019 or whatever. I started running ultras. Um, and so there was a consistent, you know, four-year period there. Um, I found that when I started meditating a month or so ago, almost immediately that muscle memory kicked in. Uh, maybe there was – this might sound weird, but I think there was almost – a placebo effect as well, like a sense of confidence that I was back committed, like I was invested in it. And so you almost kind of like I held myself to the meditator standard almost of when I was talking to people, I was <laughs> holding space for them. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, I think so. I think, I think, I think, I think so, Craig. I think, and yeah, look, I was talking to John about it. Like people say you can do running meditations and whatever, but I believe meditation has to also be inconvenient. Like, it, it, yeah, not inconvenient in the sense, but like you have to sit still. Like, because for me, part of meditation is you're sitting with yourself. And when you're running, you're not sitting with yourself. You know, like you're, you're moving, you're, your mind may be flowing. And I mean, to me, there's not that element of having to actually look at yourself and be with yourself and be with the uncomfortability that is when you're actually sitting properly meditating. You know what I mean? Craig, I don't know what your or Dale, I don't know what your opinion is on that, but that's just my my two cents. If I would, I would say there's the act of like a meditating practice where you and it's all practice, right? But I think what people refer to there that I can relate to 
is the meditative state of these um, activities that require your complete focus. And because if you think like when we're meditating, we're focusing on our breath. So we're not really given room for the externals, let's say, you know, the monkey mind, we're like, we're, we're focusing on our breast. And, and there's other meditations where you're focusing on what's going on around you, which, um, you know, I try to do a little bit of both where, you know, I'm focusing on my breath to be present. And I focus on like, the sounds around me just for awareness. Um, and that that's come about, um, you know, because I've been, we've all been fortunate to meet, you know, Chris Norris, John Max, uh, McCaskill. Um, I had Ben Durbin on who, uh, in each one of these guys, I, I just learned something new in, in that aspect, like Ben was saying like, Hey, you know, cause I was asking, why would I focus on my breath? Why would I do this? And, and he, and he rightfully point out the use of the term practice, right? You're practicing being present, you're practicing being aware. Um, so back to activities, I think I can relate to that. You know, when I was doing a ton of running as well, I had, I had like a breathing pattern. Like it, it was like, you know, exhale for three or four steps and then inhale for three, the same three or four steps. And I would get like focused on that. And I, I could say that I was kind of like in this, a similar state of focus and presence that I do in a seated meditation. Um, and I'd say also like um, two other things that, uh, so jujitsu to me was meditative because I literally cannot think of anything else when we're st- sparring. I've got a dude and you, I'm, I'm skinny, like freaking olive oil. Like I'm, I'm always the lo- littlest dude on the mat and I've got to, I've got to be there. Like I, there's no, there's no play. I've got to go. And that requires my complete attention. And I think that, that bring makes me present. So as a result, I feel like really clear, really great after sparring because I, I, the rest of the world was shut out for 20 to 60 minutes, whatever it was. Um, and I, I, I watched all those uh, mountain movie re- movies recently. Um, and those guys talked about the same thing and uh, that the, the climbing requires so much focus and attention to them. It was a bit meditative because they, again, aren't thinking of anything else. They are, it's life or death that they are present. They are they are in that climb and they are nowhere else. And I think that's where obviously there's diversity there, but I think it's at the end of the day, it's all back to that that focus, right? Like it's not the monkey mind and we're all over the place. Um, but we're intentionally, you know, maybe as a necessity or intentionally, proactively, like being focused. I don't know if any of that rant makes sense, but that's that kind of like how I've been coming to it. I, I, I just I think that there's there's a flow meditative state that occurs through an intense activity. And I guess it's your intention. I think with being on the mat, my personal intention is to sit with what's coming up mm. and having intentionality around being skillful with managing that and not yep. having an external pressure that drives me to focus. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like I want, and I think that's what I'm getting at. I think when Craig, I I don't know if you have your, your view on that, but like, I think like, you know, when I'm running, there is a meditative process, but I'm caught up in endorphins. I'm caught up in things that take me still away. It's an external pressure versus when I'm sitting on the mat, I'm sitting still feelings, body sensations, things are coming up, but there's no external pressure 
that makes me focused. I, it's me that mm -hmm. is using my own facilities. And I think that's where I think that the, the subtle difference is, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think there's something to be said for sitting with oneself, with no externals, and just being with what is, and mm -hmm. watching, observing the monkey mind coming up with anxiety or fear or whatever it may be, and just watching it, sitting with it, knowing that it's okay, um, versus like when I go to the gym and I'm doing a bicep curl, I could be very present with that. And it has a meditative quality, but it's much different. Mm. And, you know, it makes it obviously it makes my workout much better when I'm very present with the weight. And I, I make micro adjustments in how I hold my wrist so I can feel it hitting the muscle differently and optimizing how I hit it. But that's very, it's, it's being present with it, which I think is very powerful. But I agree with RJ with the act of sitting with oneself and just watching what comes up and not, not reacting. You know, mm -hmm. there's a pain in my lower back that all of a sudden sh shooting pain and not reacting to it, just observing it, breathing into it and mm -hmm. allowing it to to come to arise and to go on its own accord. I, I think with. And there's no right or wrong, but let's get to the philosophical piece here. I think with an external event, you're still you're still effectively not sitting with yourself. It's still another form of distraction mm -hmm. and it's still another crutch. So the question is, you know, it's that statement, you know, man's woes are, you know, stem from his inability to sit with himself in a quiet room, right? Like I, I paraphrase, I think it was Pascal, Blaise Pascal. So I think the question there is if we want to move towards that optimization, true, you know, going towards the optimization true north, it's like, well, that's great that, you know, I'm, a, I'm on a mountain and if I fall, I die. So yes, I need to be focused or if I'm base jumping. Um, but how do I then do that skillfully while I'm actually just with myself? And I think if you're looking at that optimization piece for me, that is more challenging. Yeah. And requires. Yeah, I agree. I think, I, yeah, to, for me, I feel like in to round it out, like I do all of the above, right? Like my, my goal is to be intentional and present. And, and I agree that, you know, I just was uh, trying to throw a different curve into it, but yeah, I agree. Same thing. Like I I'll sit there in, in like, I think Craig's really articulating it well, where you're just really getting again, a practice of controlling your thoughts, your emotions. And now we're talking neuro pathways, right? Now you're making a habit, a neuro pathway of, not reacting right to whether it's a physical pain or emotional pain or whatever uh external trigger right you're you're now practicing not and and and, and yeah like like craig i would say um similarly just caught myself one day going wow i normally would have reacted there or hey you're, you're not being present and catching myself and fixing it like and i i, get, I credit uh just practicing you know focused meditations on on that, you know, so for sure. Can I ask a question of both of you? Um, we've used the word intention a few times and I'm curious, um, well, I'll, I'll share what I do. When I sit down on the mat, I take, um, I take three deep breaths and then I ask myself, why am I sitting in meditation this morning? What matters most to my heart? And I listen for the response and that becomes my, med that becomes my 
my intention for that practice. And I'm curious if, RJ, you touched on this already, but I'm curious um, if there's a little more formality to the intention of sitting down and meditating for both of you. I used to be, inv- I used to engage a formal practice, a, more of a, a structured practice that was uh, Tibetan uh, based, Tibetan Buddhist. So I would do different styles of uh, meditation. Now it's more so, I guess the short answer is no. I'm more so getting to where I am sitting down and just being with the breath. And what I'm trying to do, Craig, is take a moment for myself before I step into this day that is just, as we know, pulling us in continual different directions, which starts for me quite early. And so I'm just really trying to get focused and ensure that I'm structured, I'm together as I move into my day. But there's no, um, uh, I haven't introduced anything like that, but I can see the value in it because it's kind of like taking a moment to really think about, well, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And what do I want out of it? Um, but at this point, there's been no formality in, in this round of meditation. Yeah, for me, um, so I've done all of the above. And even before I was really intentional about meditation, I, I would say that I did, you know, I remember like when I was back running the company, um, after I got done working out and that, then I found this in yoga, right? They got the Savasana where, you know, at the end of your practice, you can lay there or whatever for five minutes or whatever. Well, I would actually do that. I'd say accidentally then. Um, and what I would do, I was just, I would just lay down five minutes, uh, and just go through a visualization meditation of the day. Like I would play, I would play my day out. Hmm. Um, uh, how how it was going to go, right? I, I knew all the meetings I had going on because I, I had my day planned out the day before. So I, I know what my day structure looks like because I, I, I want to just get up and execute. I don't want to think about it. I just want to get up and go. So um, so I would, I would after I would work out, I would just kind of lay there and go, okay, because now I'm done. Now I'm going to transition. I'm going to go get a shower and then, it, then it's go time. And I would lay there for five minutes after working out and just go, okay, how's this day going to go? Okay. Okay. I've got this meeting. That's a challenging conversation or this dude's an asshole. How am I going to react? Right. <laughs> I would just kind of play the whole thing out, you know, Hey, I got to go meet with this person. We need to fix this. Like I would just play it out. And I, I think I really got that, um, you know, hearing like guys like Michael Phelps who said, Hey, I had won these golds a thousand times before I won them in my head. Mm. I just, saw it. I saw how it was going to play out. And, and I, I think that's really where I picked that up from. And, and so I made it a practice to kind of go, Hey, okay. Savasana, um, uh, also learn from, you know, the guys in our, in our circles about the meditation, like, uh, the, uh, plas- plasticity of our mind after working out, right. Um, you know, our neuroplasticity, um, you know, I, I re- learned recently that it was good to meditate after a workout because of it being a practice. Uh, your mind is, you know, neuroplasticity ready to, uh, it would take it better, I guess, in, in my layman's way of putting it. Um, so I've shifted to, instead of doing a meditation as soon as I get up, to uh, doing a meditation 
after I finished working out. So that went from just being a five minute thing. Now I do a 20 minute thing. And recently I was, wasn't trying to be rude and look at my phone, but I was pulling up. Um, I, I, I'm a, I'm a Rogan guy. I listen to Rogan. I listened to the side guru, uh, episode. Did you guys hear that? Um, I hadn't been exposed to him before, but he's like an Indian mystic. Maybe RG shaking his head. Maybe he knows something about him. But um, so I, ju- I just got intrigued and started digging into kind of some of his stuff. Um, and he had, has this uh, Isha Kriya meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've started doing that um, as as my daily, you know, so because it was like a, you know, a, a, a recommendation to do it for once a day for 90 days or twice a day for 48 days. Um, so I'm just doing 90 day cause I can manage that better. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I've started that now, um, which is a bit about, um, I would say detaching from the mind and body, um, and spirit a little bit more than the, the other stuff I've been doing, um, which is interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm a week into that. Um, but I, I, um, that's where I'm at now. Um, and that's, that's been interesting. So I do, I do a 20 minute a day at the end of my workout. Um, now his, uh, his guided part of the Isha, Isha Kriya is about 10 minutes. And then I spend the next 10 minutes in typical, like focused on my breath, focused on my awareness or whatever. RJ, are you familiar with, uh, uh side guru? Yeah. Um, across his work. Um, I, have read his uh, his books. He's a really interesting character. He's also been on Tom Bilyeu's podcast, uh, which was a good conversation. I have a friend who is um, the managing director of Accenture, who's a really high-performing dude. He's like a mathematician brain, but he's also a yogi. He's got this really interesting range, and he really loves Sadhguru's teachings because it's quite technical and it appeals to him. Um, and Sadhguru refers to yoga and Kriya Yoga as a technology, right? Like his view is that it, it's actually, the way he's framed it is quite elegant. And he does his um, meditation, finds it transformative. Uh, um, Carter's also into polyvagal theory as well. I think he's gotten into that around like his nervous system and kind of how that all operates in relation to his yoga practice. And uh, I think whatever, I think whatever works, I, I find the, I find that really interesting as well. Like kind of, I see how there's a real value in obviously focused meditation, but a meditation where it's more, we're kind of detaching from uh, the subjective mind and subjective experience as well, mm-hmm. because that also creates spaciousness too, doesn't it? Where yeah. we're not as reactive. So I think it's just, it's meditation is interesting because there's so many different types of it and styles of it, which I suppose is just being skillful to know what we need and where we're at and what will serve us. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I say like it's been about consciousness, you know, this uh, Isha Kriya stuff. It's been it's been a little bit more about that, and and so yeah, I think you're spot on, spot on there. One thing I like that you said, Craig, that I th- it, that's just good to call out because you mentioned meditation with the red light same time, you're killing one, two birds with one stone. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, you got a lot of folks that talk about, I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to do that. Like there's, is there any other areas you guys find yourselves mm-hmm. killing two birds with one stone, so to speak? I, I've been actually, um, reading at the gym. 
So when I do the when I do the step mill, which is a terrible device, I have my Kindle. I, I have my Kindle, and I'll tell you when I have a good book, I want to stay on the machine. And it's just been really brilliant to have that. I'll do um, I do twenty minutes, you know, not a tremendous amount, but I do twenty minutes on the step mill, and I read the entire time. But I also read between sets, which you know is maybe taking me a little bit out of the workout, but I just love the mental aspect from it. I don't check my phone and I just read and I work mm-hmm. out and I, re- I find myself really looking forward to my workouts, particularly when I have a book that I enjoy. And that to me is really killing two birds with one stone in a, in a really, for me, productive way, an enjoyable way too. Mm, I caught that too. Dale. That's a great call when Craig was talking about the, the light in the meditation Right, because basically you're stacking you're stacking activities that can be consolidated, and I do that as well. I mean, as podcast host uh, Dale, you'd appreciate this. Like, you're always listening to people's audio books, and like you're always consuming information, and it becomes difficult. So you got to find ways to optimize that experience. So I'll do it when I'm on the bike. Similar to to Craig as well, I'll in kind of use non pleasurable events treadmill stuff like that where historically i wouldn't listen to anything i i i I do use it now i mean there's even simple things like my i use a stoic journal it's on my passenger seat always and when i get to the gym i it's a cue i use that as an opportunity to journal because some people think you have to sit still well no like for me i've incorporated it into my movement so it's mm-hmm. sitting there with a pen already ready to go. So as soon as I get into the gym, so it's just about kind of optimizing your day and our experience to be able to stack activities that have a similar either energy or ease of engagement of multitasking. I suppose that's what we're talking about. We're talking about multitasking. And so I think multitasking is one of those things where um, – if something requires deep concentration, you probably don't want to stack it as an activity. But if it can just be done on kind of an autopilot piece, then it's efficient. And so the wisdom is they know, you know, in the serenity prayers to know the difference. Like when can you actually stack activities to create efficiency versus you're multitasking and you're actually diminishing one activity that requires deep concentration. For instance, sometimes during the day when I'm working, I'll try to listen to an audio book because I'm, I've got a guest. Like I had a guest this morning after our conversation, I got, I was late to consume his book yesterday. So I'm trying to listen to his audio book while I'm working. Can't, couldn't do it. Yeah. Couldn't do it because I, I just can't, I don't have that level of concentration to do the, my work that was required thought and listen to this dude, you know, like, so I'm doing nothing well. So I think it's just adding some flavor and, and I guess depth into that, Hey guys, Dale here, and I wanted to take a quick break to invite you to join the launch of the Lions Guide community called The Pride. You see, whether it was at work dealing with the demands of the day or maintaining the demands of my life at home, I always seemed to feel like my struggles were unique, like somehow I was the only one struggling to find joy amidst all the weight that I felt I was carrying each day. And you know, what I've come to realize is that we all have our struggles that we're up against, and it's pretty demanding. 
The only way to rise to those demands is to decide and make the change to adopt a growth mindset, to be what I call a high performer. And that's why I started Lions Guide. I want to help you break through to the next level of you and your ability to not only meet, but exceed those demands on you and in doing so, find your joy again. If you're a growth-minded individual ready to make a change, then I'm here for you. And this is how you get started. I invite you to visit lionsguide.com and sign up to join the Pride. The Pride is the Lions Guide community for growth-minded members like you. Once signed up, you'll get special access to all the free content and resources I'm putting out there. You'll also be invited to join my live online events where I host sessions on personal growth and high performance. You'll also be able to engage with other growth-minded members on our private online group. Also, if you enjoy the podcast as a member, you'll get access not only to all the podcasts, but also the podcasts that have been yet to be released. So get access to all this and more. So break out of that rut, break into your next level, and join me on lionsguide.com, and let's grow together. Go to lionsguide.com and become a member of the Pride today. Now back to the show. I've come to learn and agree that we can't truly multitask. There's foreground tasks and there's background tasks, right? Like, you know, there's there's not two foreground tasks that we can do effectively. It's a little tension here, a little tension there. We might think we're multitasking, but we're not. It, it's nothing multi about it. We're singularly focused here and then switching. We're task switching, you know, repeatedly. We're not multitasking, right? So when we drive and we listen to the radio, like driving is the foreground task. The podcast in the background is a background task, right? Um, you know, there it, it's so I've come to to just respect that that I, that there's no true multitasking. There's foreground tasks and background tasks, and like RJ saying, I agree. I could not. I don't listen to podcasts when I'm trying to work because I want to get the value out of it. So it's not like just a, a radio station playing in the background. I mean, I want. I, I've over the last decade, I've gotten so much influence and uh, positive exposure from podcasts. So I don't like take them lightly. I, I, I wouldn't even let them be background tasks for me anymore because I, I want to do it. So I, I will, I'll listen to them. Like if, if I'm in the shower or if I'm, I, I, I'm on my own lawn, it's a part of my, you know, getaways. I'd like, so while I'm spending an hour outside working in the yard, I'll, I'll listen to a podcast then because it, then it is truly, I can consume it. I am listening to it while I'm doing kind of monkey work, you know, driving a mower or, or shoveling crap or whatever. Um, so I, I, I think that, and, and I, it, RJ, I'm with you. I, I carry a journal with me everywhere, especially when I'm working out like that. I just throw down, you know, all my, uh, I call, I put on, it's a line side guide field journal, but really can be anything. But when I'm working out, especially man, my brain is going boom. It's just shooting out ideas and thoughts and solving problems. So I, I need that. Right. I, I just, I'm like, I, I got. I'll interrupt my workout to go get that thought out of my head. I promise you that. Absolutely. I will actually. So if I'm if I'm working out and that's I mean that's some of my best ideas come when I am. You know, I had a, I worked with a coach who um, said that the importance of CEO time, and that was taking time off for yourself, uh, white space time, CEO time. So that's my walk on the beach. I try to do that, weather permitting, every single day, just to tune out. Um, the gym is my CEO time. And when an idea comes up, I will, I said, I didn't check my phone, which I try not to do. But if an idea comes up, that's way too much of a spark. Yeah, I'll grab my notes and just start writing, particularly as a writer. You know, there are some times where I'm, where I know the idea is mine, and I don't have to capture it. I know it's just intrinsic to who I am. And mm. I'll just make a mental note to say, I'm going to capture that later. But there are other times where I'm a little fuzzy and then I make sure to, to capture it in the, in the moment. Mm. 
Yeah, I um, I've been so. I'll ask you guys this then: Where does the phone fit into your routine, your schedule? What's uh, I'll, I'll let you run with it, Craig, because uh, I've seen you post some stuff about you know you've got stop signs on your phone background, and everything else. Like, what? A, where's the phone fit into your high performance habit routine? So the phone is both a very necessary necessary tool and a bit of a bane of my existence. Um, <laughs> quite honestly, I feel like I'm very good when it comes to some routines, and I love what um, RJ said at the beginning: is you know putting up the guardrails. Um, I feel like I'm very good in the evening. After a certain time, I do not look at my phone. I don't want to be. I don't want my mind going anywhere. So I put that away. I don't look at my phone for about two hours um, until after I've been up for a while. I get up around 5.30ish. I won't look at it until about 7.30ish. Um, so I have good guardrails around that. When I'm deep in focus, when I'm writing, I don't have my phone near me. So I can't look at it because if I have a, and this is why it's the bane of my existence. If I have this like slight down moment where I'm in between sentences and my phone's there, I'll go to turn it on. And then I'm, you know, off to the races looking at something stupid that I don't need to be looking at. So, you know, I, I have to, I, you know, when I was writing my first book, sometimes I'd put it in another room and close the door, you know, just to have that much distance from it. Yeah. Um, I feel like when I'm very focused, I do have those good guardrails. However, in the afternoon, I have, I, I'll be very honest, sometimes I have a difficult time sitting by myself and I'll find myself grabbing the phone yeah. and feeling guilty afterwards for, you know, spending 20 minutes looking at Instagram, you know, and not productively, not reading yeah. anything that's of value, just surfing things. So that's, that's where I sit with it. And I'd love to hear what you guys, how you interact and engage with, with that technology. RJ, you got anything on that? <laughs> yeah. The phone is, um, it's become like a, part of the human experience, right? Like, you know, the way the iPhone was created was the iPhone. It's meant to be like some cyborg shit, right? Like, and what's happened now is we all know that when we're not connected to it, there's a sense of anxiety. I mean, even it being in my pocket, you know, like I touch it, I hold it a lot. There's, I understand the addiction there. So I move through working from my phone and laptop simultaneously during the day. And if I were to observe myself, there would be mass inefficiency in how I'm working, you know, because I'm like on the laptop, I'm then using my phone to send a message. Then, oh shit, something pops up on none of my notifications are on. So I don't get notifications from social media or anything, but I can still go down that rabbit warren that, Craig was talking about where I just start surfing some stupid shit. Now I've tried as hard as I can to stay away and off of social media. Like I used to have somebody doing all the engagement for me just because I just didn't want to do it. Right. Like I didn't want to be on there because I felt it just drains me. And it sends me into this weird ecosystem of non-reality. I do do and respond to my own social media now. I feel like I have to and I have to, but I limit it to a certain part of the day. And so generally what will happen is um, my stuff gets posted on social media. The social media team puts it on 
And then after I put my daughter to sleep at night, I stay in the room in the dark, just responding. And so when I come out of that room, I'm done. Right. So I kind of incorporated my social media activity as part of the process around her sleeping routine. And that's it. You know, like that whole piece around social media, I'm going to teach my children. Like I can't, you know, like I can't speak for what they're going to do. But, you know, if people ask me what's important to me, I always frame it in the way of what what I teach my children. Like I think social media and stuff like that, you want to you wanna view your activity on there ideally is a creation piece, not consumption piece. Now, I, I think that we can get a lot of great ideas and it's great to use it as a tool, but there's a real danger of becoming a consumer of information and sitting there trolling and surfing versus I think what we do, us three, and we're not superstars, we're creating on there. It's a very different use of the tool. Um, and I know this was a conversation that initially started off on the phone, but I think social media and the phones and kind of intrinsic yeah. now, right? So, so I think that's what I would say there. It's like, well, if, if I were to give anyone ad advice, it's like, well, if you're on your social media, you're on the phone, what are you using social media for? Is it a tool for creation, idea, exchange, or are you just sitting there voyeuring, consuming shit? Yeah, I mean, uh, I would say this week especially, uh, I'm in the same boat as you guys uh, and Craig. Like, I would just get aggravated. Like, because mm -hmm. if I looked in aggregate, like the time lost in a day. Um, just it, it's a, it's a trap, man. The phone's a trap. So this week, uh, minus today, I, I had it here just cause before we hopped on, I was, uh, just communicating via text. But, uh, this week I've started, I, I take my iWatch off. I take my iPhone. It's sitting over there across my office and had one of the most productive days I'd had in forever. <laughs> uh, really proud of myself. Had all this extra time, therefore I'm getting more stuff done, and um, that's my that's that's what I'm working. I'm, I'm, I was almost gonna, you know, ask like, who wants to go on the phone detox with me? There, where we just kind of keep these things away from us. Um, and and honestly, and Craig, you mentioned the phone and the ideas. Like I, that's why I, I carry the notebook around because I can't put my ideas into my phone because when I touch that damn thing. Like something's going to get me or there's going to be a text there. Like RJ, I have all my notifications turned off minus uh, text and phone calls. Uh, you know, someone trying to communicate with me. Like I have that, but none of my, all my badges and notifications, all that other crap turned off for everything else. As much as it asked me to turn it back on, you know, every <laughs> single app, say, like, hey, you sure? You sure you don't want these Like why? Like, <laughs> like why, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. It's we like, paid all these developers, me. like, big money to make sure we can, like, get your attention. And you've turned it off. Are you sure? Like, yeah, man, I'm sure. Uh, but, um, but yeah, so um, – so I've, I, you know, I've been keeping it away from me. And in fact, I, I've made it, um, I, and I knew this before, I would say I just kind of slipped down the slope, but you know, when, when, when I was running the company as an example, there's constant distractions. So I would say, Hey, my office hours are, you know, eight to eight 30, 11 to 11 30, 
I'll give you another one to one thirty after lunch and then four thirty to five. Just kind of let people know, like, look, man, I'm open door during these hours, right? Because otherwise people will just constantly distract you. So I had boxed off like time for the phone, for people, for these reactionary stuff. And and just certainly in transition to the, the new stuff I'm doing today, I didn't have I I've kind of recognized, oh, hey, that's what worked for me before. Um, so my current routine is I'm not touching the phone until 8 a.m. And I'm only checking what's going on until 8.30 and then I'm heads down. And then I'll check it again before I go to lunch. I'll check it again when I get back from lunch and I'll check it again at the end of the day. And that's it. I'll keep that damn thing away from me. Like, unless I'm expecting a call, expecting a text or whatever, that's different. But um, I got, I, I'm serious. I, I wasn't wearing, I'm not wearing my phone. I'm, I, I'm wearing my watch. I'm not wearing, I, I want the thing away from me because I've just come to, it's just a trap, man. Like, it didn't, the damn, my, even my freaking watch has got to tell me, hey, man, good job standing today. Good job walking. Like, get out of here with that. Like, I, I don't need the constant distraction. And, man, it, it's been awesome. I mean, just awesome. So um, so that's where I'm at. I'm trying to get the damn thing away from me <laughs> and, and say, like, okay, social media on the computer only, right? Um, all my, my posts and stuff, like, schedule them, box them in, schedule them. And then check the engagements at, you know, at those set times, you know, um, because you're hundred percent, man, that the, it's that, it's that it, it is a tool, right? And we got to recognize that, especially as all of us entrepreneurs, business, business people, like it's a tool period. So how do we use this tool to meet our ends and RJ's, and that means we've got to have intentionality um, and RJ's right. Like, like, cause you know, it's a trap, you know, you gotta know that it's, it's trying to grab you, you know? So I, I had met a dude recently. He was on my podcast. He's, uh, he was in tech similar to you, Craig. Um, I think he worked for like your big ERP companies and then startups. And then he had this whole addiction journey and it's quite innovative. He's created an app which rewards habits. It gamifies good habits, right? And I was on it and I love the concept, but I also struggle with it being on my phone. I understand why it needs to be on the phone. And I understand like, you know, your headspace and all these apps that are super successful. For me, I understand the scalability and impact and convenience, but there's just something weird about it being tech based does that mm -hmm. make sense like yeah it just doesn't Absolutely. feel 100 percent right to be engaged through the phone what's um, your views on that i i had a bugaboo about building the lion's guide community like it's on facebook i have a facebook group community and i didn't like that but it was the best option I had, you know, I was like, man, I don't want this thing on Facebook, man. I don't want to be on Facebook. I don't want my, my, my clients and people to be on Facebook because of me. Um, so I, yeah, I'm with you. I'm a bit cross in a way, right? It's, it's, it's almost a necessary evil today. Um, I mean, cause how many times have you picked up your phone to do one thing and five minutes later it went, what the fuck was I doing? What was I supposed to do? <laughs> what was I supposed to do when I picked this thing up? Right? Like that, I, man, I hate yeah. that shit. 
So, like, so the uh, Dale, you mentioned, you know, uh, that one post that I put up. I do have a stop sign as the wallpaper on my phone. It says stop. Why are you checking your phone? And it's precisely because what you just said. I'd be like, um, oh, I want to respond to that Instagram DM. I open up my phone. I'm looking at Gmail. I'm checking my calendar. I'm on Facebook. And then I put the phone away and I didn't answer the, the DM. <laughs> and I realized I had zero intentionality yeah. to it. So I put that on there to be very intentional. Say, why am I doing this? I'm doing this to respond to that DM. And that's all I'm going to do. But which is really, this is, I think, very interesting. It worked wickedly effective. I mean, it was so effective. Uh, it reduced my screen time by like 89% one week. Mm. I mean, ridiculous how much it worked. But now it literally has become wallpaper where I don't notice it anymore. Get numb to it. Yeah. It, I, I, I'm, I'm used to it and it doesn't have the same impact. So I'm thinking of uh, a new tool that I can put in place that will kind of get me back onto those guardrails and, and yeah, keep well, me focused. Well, the tool was the ocean. Just throw the damn thing in it like, there you go. <laughs> That's where I'm at, dude. I want to throw this thing so far in the ocean. Um, Dale's on a rampage. Dale's on a rampage. I can tell. He's, dude, well, he's, I, tell, I tell people all the time, like, I came from tech, but here's the thing, man. I can't wait till the day that I'm living in a log cabin, chopping my heat during the day and killing my dinner. That's it. Like, I, I almost want – but here we are, right? Like, I say that as we're – I'm talking to – my man in Australia and my other one in Connecticut about some awesome value, right? So I, I again, I I love the potential with it, but this is it's definitely a double edged sword, and and it takes a very mindful, disciplined, you know, state of being to not because this slope is slippery, right? And and like like RJ said, if you sat there and you watched yourself for a day and you looked at all the time lost. I'm just talking five minutes at a time. I used to, you know, pre-social media, I used to talk to workers about this. Like, yeah, man, I get it. You smoke. And, but we only take smoke breaks one time in the morning, one time in the afternoon. But, 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 if I let you smoke every half hour, that's five, 10 minutes every half hour, add that up for the day. You only work five hours a day, right? And that, in, in essence, if we fast forward this 15 years, that's how we are with our, our phones and social media. Because if you look, if you looked at it, we lose five minutes plus a time. How many dozen times a day? That adds up. I, and, I and, yeah, yeah. And to sorry, RJ. I was going to say to compound that. Going back to what we were talking about multitasking, the way that our brain works. Let's say we're deeply focused on something, and we do pick up our phone to look at. We to get back to what we were doing. We don't instantly go back. Our brain doesn't work that way. We've kind of broken the pattern, so it takes a little bit of time. We're not efficient. So it's not even just the five minutes that we've lost. Mm, it's yeah. there's a pull through. There's a ripple effect. So it's yeah. it compounds. And same with the people who smoke. Yeah, maybe they go out for five minutes, but it probably takes them a half hour to get back into the groove. Yeah, you know, well, that's what the they task switching. That's the task switching. This, the detriment of task switching is compounding. I think it's indistractable that talks about that. Um, but it, he he makes a really good case. Uh, yeah, have you guys read that book or heard of it? Indistractable. No. No. Really good book. Uh, it's not within reach, but um, uh, indistractable. But he talks about that in the cost of the distraction of it. And it's really the lost time and task switching, right? So you're, you're in a task and then you stop, you detach, you switch to something else. Uh, and then you have to get back on task. All of that adds up. It's not just the, the, the 
two, three, five minutes that you looked at the phone, it's the lost time to get back on task um, from from getting off. It's it's really interesting. But yeah, that's the that's that's the real real impact there. I think anytime we have to, I was talking to staff about this yesterday. Anytime we have to engage willpower, it's inefficient. Yeah. Right. So like anytime we have to go from zero to movement, it's inefficient, right? Versus kind of riding the inertia that's already created from doing that task. So the if you look at multitasking from a pure energetic perspective, you're kind of disengaging, engaging, you've got the stop start. There's a consumption of unnecessary energy. If you really mm-hmm. want to look at it that way. Back to something you said earlier, Dale, I think that's interesting is I think high performers are, um, they understand guardrails and using guardrails versus willpower effectively. And I think one of the ways that you represented that in a statement, because I completely agree with you and I know um, Craig Wood is the whole living in the woods, right? Like that's not hypocrisy. That's understanding that, there's a matrix that we need to play in. You go into the matrix to play, but then you clearly have a delineation of where that matrix ends. And when you're home, your desire to go full manual is more so to connect and regroup. That's not hypocrisy. That's Mm -hmm. being skillful and understanding, you know, Robin Sharma, I think he was talking about this in, uh, Uh, something I saw on social media and I completely agree with it. His, his, his piece on uh, working in waves, like you you kind of high energy and then you kind of, because, and, and to me, my life and the way I've set up my life around where I live, how I live um, is very much like that. Even when I come to work, I come down a big mountain. There's a long drive that I come into the active community and it, there's this, you know, there's a, there's a, um, there's a, a switching on that occurs. And then when I go back up the mountain where I go home, there's about, it's about a 10 to 11 kilometer drive, which mm. is another signal that I'm now entering into a different realm. And to me, that's just another guardrail. Something else though, I, I do do with technology with it, which I want to mention is I, block i um i have boomerang on my emails so i'm obsessed with um inbox zero and to the point where it actually impacts me negatively i don't have the willpower to not uh continually check my emails so i basically get it managed for me by um pausing them so that means that i check emails certain time of the day and i pause it and it the 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 anxiety that it reduces for me because there's no, I can't actually go and check my phone email because I can only undo my boomerang from my laptop. Mm. So I'm no longer checking my emails from my phone because I actually can't because it's blocked. I like that. It's been I amazing like that a lot. for me. Yeah. Mm. And, the, and the only way I can un- unblock it or sorry, unpause it is from my actual PC. I like that. Yeah. It's, um, I, I, I can say I'm, good at that but because that's what i was saying earlier i would that that eight to eight to eight thirty eleven or eleven thirty to noon blocks i was talking about earlier um that i would leave i wouldn't 
I would leave email alone until those times too. And I could do that. I was like, I have emails off or whatever, but I'd like that. I love the boomerang thing because for, for, to your point, those habitual checkers, right? Because again, it's a task switching, right? You're on a project, you're working on your PowerPoint, whatever. Oh, oh, got to check my email. And then boom, task switch to read email, task switch back, lost time. Um, so I, I like that. So Boomerang, is that is that like a service? So Microsoft, or? it's a Microsoft product. It comes with Outlook. Oh, so it comes with 365. Yeah, bro. And you could just, mm. my, my T did it for me. And I was like, fuck, this is revolutionary because I tried literally, Dale, Craig, for, you know, people think we're gurus because we talk, like we struggle, right? Like I, I, I tried for four months consistently to not check my emails mm. when I didn't want to. And I could not not check my emails. And I realized I needed intervention. Like, like yeah. I don't have the willpower to not do that because I'm obsessed yeah. with inbox zero. Yeah. So now I don't have to, now I, that decision has been, that privilege has been taken from me and I love it. <laughs> for, for me, what comes up, it almost circles back to the meditation is that you had the awareness to understand that it impacts you negatively and that you had to ask for help or look for an outside intervention to do something about it. You know, it circles back because otherwise you could have just been, you know, hooked into that cycle and, and never break the pattern. Yeah, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The uh, now I love it, and um, and it, and I guess I, I would challenge you both to say like the word anxieties come up, right? RJ, you're talking about like the anxiety of your phone, right? And, and my question, I thought, as as you were describing that, like, are the, are these anxieties with our phone? Are they are they worth it? Like, are they justified? Are these anxieties of like social notification? Are they justified? No. Not even close. Right? Not I even mean, a little bit. I mean, not even. What a great, great question that when this comes out, I almost want to isolate that question and like maybe put that on my phone as, you know, sounds counterintuitive, but that's my block. Like is the, or that might be my new message. Like is the anxiety worth it? Yeah. Because it's not. Because what's, what am I going to find in my email? There's going to be nothing that groundbreaking. There's nothing that I can't respond to in a few hours. Same yeah. with social media. Obviously, I use it for my business. I use all three of the big platforms, IG, LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, you know, I put content out there every single day. But to have, you know, I like how RJ has a very specific engagement time period. You know, you've got your routine. You put your daughter down to sleep. You're in the dark. You do your engagement. You leave the room. You, you leave your engagement in the room. There's something very symbolic about that. Mm, yeah. But I mean, again, the anxiety is not worth it. None of this stuff is... I love what I do. I think I do have an impact, but I'm not solving the world's problems. I don't need to respond immediately. I'm not diffusing bombs. Yeah. I, I think I think what happened was with the proliferation of instant communication, people that were good operators like us in corporate or whatever the fuck we were doing, we 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 developed a sense of value from being responsive yeah, and we became confused, you know, like we thought being on and being hyper responsive was like, yeah, man, the customer is going to value it and rah, 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 rah. And we've had to go through our own journey of looking at that because we got to remember these communication devices and technologies have the evolution and speed and velocity of you know, coming on the scene has surpassed our ability to really understand and cope. 
right? So there was this whole process of instant communication towards us from all different realms. We didn't know that by turning on notifications to our Garmin, what that bombardment would look like. Our intention was okay and it was decent and good. And we thought, wow, the more information we get about ourselves, the more we'll be optimized. The more information we can get from our customer at any given time of the night or the day, it's great because we can be responsive. And now we've started to come, some of us have started to come to the other side where we realize what's urgent is not what we perceive to be urgent isn't necessarily important. And um, where I would say the people that are really looking to optimize are generally moving towards simplification. Yeah. Well, as, just, as you, as you described that, what the thought that came to mind was that feeling to always be responsive is a perversion of our service mindset, right? Like we are of service. We like to serve people, but it's, it's, it's a bridge too far, right? Like we've, it's, it's a perversion of that, that we feel that, oh, I just got this email. It's not, it's not urgent at all, but it's important to respond right now so that they're not waiting on me anymore. Right. Because that's an anxiety of mine. I don't like to have people waiting on me. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, but again, that's the necessity isn't there. So, uh, so that's, I just wanted to throw that out there. That's what came to mind as you described that. It's like, really, it's a perversion of our service mindset. It is. It absolutely is. And, and I love that we're talking about this because I'll tell you when I started, um, when I was in the corporate world and I started, there were no phones. There was no, you actually had to go to the office to log on. And there was uh, one of the guys that I worked with, we would race to the office to send each other an email that would literally, we would just write timestamp on the email. So we timestamped when we sent the first email and it was who won, who, you know, for each day. Who was, who was in the office first, and it was this badge of honor, and that transferred to everything that we did. If a customer you know, sent an email, I was, boom, very reactive. And I think there's such a delineation between being um, you know, a proactive leader versus a reactive follower, if you will, because, I mean, really, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but our email is somebody else's to-do list. Hundred percent, you know, and and mm. just to be able to proactively say when I choose to respond to this, and know that the person isn't sitting there, you know, saying, "Boy, I'm really pissed that Dale hasn't gotten back to me." Yeah, and, and you know, I guess a, a thing that I I kind of talk to is this is a topic that comes up with clients, and I go, "Look, man, if you were in surgery for two hours under amnesia, like, what would happen?" And always the answer is it'll be there when I get, get done. Right. Like, so, and, and, and because and we kind of always have to remind ourselves of that, like, it'll be there. Like it's that, 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 that urgency isn't real. It's fabricated. We were making it up in our head. Any more on that? Or are you guys ready to switch topics real quick? The sleeping in on the weekends. Can you, are you able to pivot back to the early mornings on come Monday? Absolutely. Um, I, I totally can. I still on the weekends, I still get up at five 30. Okay. And I just realize I just realize that it's 5:30 and I will, you know, roll over and spoon with my girlfriend and say, "Nope, don't have to do this." So I'm still getting up, but I just make the conscious decision to stay in. And it's funny when I say stay in, it's usually anywhere from, you know, 6:30 to 7. <laughs> you know, I'm not really going much past that. But it's that little extra time that, you know, it there's um, a connection 
you know, she loves that I do that. She knows that I like getting up early, but I choose to spend that extra hour, you know, canoodling with her. There's it, it develops our relationship and that's worth it. Yeah. You know, so I think there's really intentionality important. there. So, so yeah, there's, yeah, being very intentional, but because I'm still getting up at that five thirty ish Monday morning, it's not a problem. Right. RJ, how about you? Yeah, well, my son's in the bed on Saturday mornings, and we—he's always between us. So, uh, I have an interesting relationship with the mornings and my weekends. Where when I wake up, I have the same energy I do during the week, and that's typically why on Friday I try to have a light work day so I can kind of ease into my weekend, so I'm not as frenetic. Um, but when I wake up on the weekend, you know, let's say my daughter hasn't woken up and I'm laying in bed, uh, I will still wake up early. And for me, what I'm trying to be very conscious of is I don't bring a certain type of to do energy into that morning, which is very difficult because I can tell my wife has a rhythm from me not being there during the week. And sometimes we can have disagreements. And if we're not like traveling well together, like we'll have a little tiff in the kitchen first thing in the morning because I'm in the way. She's like, why are you like all like, you know, you're on this go, go, go. Can't you relax situation, right? Like even as soon as she's out of the bed, I've got to make the bed because I have to make the bed. If I wake up and I'm out of a bed, that bed has to get made, right? So there's this kind of understanding how to be a bit free flowing, on the weekend and changing gears, but it's not easy because I've been moving at a certain pace and a certain kind of efficiency and task orientation during the week. So what that means is the weekend, I'm really trying to shift and just be part of the family and not drive the activity. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So there's a real kind of just allocating myself as part of the troop and not directing the troop. And I find if I have anything on my to-do list on the weekend, ultra habits related or anything, it it really impacts my weekend. Like ideally, I think I would be best on a weekend if I had nothing to do. Not one piece of outstanding work for ultra habits. I don't do my day job work on the weekend, but like even ultra habits. Like I find if I have any kind of activity required, I have this kind of switched on mindset still. It's weird. Um, which I think the, the best way for me to face the weekend is literally nothing on my calendar Mm. that needs to be done. I don't know if that's going to happen though. Well, what I love about what you guys are saying is it comes back because you're both saying you're intentional, right? You're intentional about being present, right? You know, so during a week, you're like, I'm intentional about kicking ass, highly productive, getting it done. But equally as an intentional, your intention is to be present on the weekends, right? And so I think that's that's awesome, right? Like, so it's not the intentional to do this, but it's the intentional, you know, uh, contribution to the family unit and, and, and being there and, and all that. And I think that's just as powerful. It's just, it's the same thing. It's just the different flavor, I think, in, in a lot, uh, a lot of ways. Yeah. I, I think I, I, and I say this to a lot of men 
you have to be as ambitious about your family life as you are about everything else. Too many of us, it's the leftovers. <laughs> right. You know, like they kind of get what's left. Craig, you, you've got a view on that? I, I think that's just so critically important. I um, will have my clients um, and myself fill out a report card, you know, to grade um, uh, business, um, you know, romantic life, um, social life, fitness, emotional, and to look at your overall GPA and to see where you are because work might be an A plus and that's awesome. But if your family is an F, mm. that's just not, a, that's just not a balance, you know, and that's, I think, why we feel that misalignment. That's why we feel that success size hole, but we've got, you know, we've got to, you know, bring all the grades up really. And I think that is just, you know, looking at every aspect of our life, what's really important to us and to, Dale, I think you said one time, you know, I think it was our last conversation, all cylinders firing. You know, I think that's just a really great way of looking at it. You want to have all cylinders firing. Yeah, I always use the analogy, like if your life were, were a business, you're the CEO and every department matters because if any department's failing, the company's failing, right? And, um, and the other analogy is the boat, right? Like there's a hole in the boat. You don't go, well, hey, man, that's a, that guy's problem. That was all of our freaking problem. Like, this is, if we don't solve that that F in family, even though the steam room's running awesome, we're all going to the bottom here. And uh, and it is important. Um, and I think like something to what RJ said about work, I, I one of the things I do, some tactics here, like I kind of try to keep my Fridays clear uh, for my cleanup day. Like RJ said, like I like rolling into the weekend with my next week set, like I, I'm good on the week, you know, uh, in my head, I have the little, you know, kindergarten cleanup, clean up everybody everywhere. It's like, I'm like, clean up what, what didn't get done this week? What needs to be cleaned up? And I'm just like cleaning up, cleaning house. So that I go into the weekend, everything's fresh. I work is closed. It's good. It'll be there Monday. Um, and then, then my week is set, right? Cause like I say, I just want to show up and go. So I, I, I am mindful to do a lot of pre-planning, uh, plan my, like say I plan tomorrow today. Like, so when I get off with you guys, I will sit down and go, all right, what's tomorrow look like? Boom, boom, boom. So that tomorrow morning I show up and I'm talking the whole day from four o'clock when I get up until nine o'clock when I turn in my whole day on my planner is going to be laid out for my game plan for tomorrow. So all I got to do is show up and go. And what that does for me is I can, I can walk in this house and be present. I'm not thinking about like my subconscious is not trying to figure that out anymore. Uh, and likewise for my weekend, I keep Fridays clear so I can do that so that similarly I can go into the weekend and my subconscious isn't sitting there grinding on what am I going to do next week? What am I going to do next week? How's it going to go? What do I get? Like, I, I know it's all, it's all in my planner. It's on, I, I have these little sheets I print out. Like, you know, I do this, like this is my weekly uh, planner and I sit down, I just go, here's all my workouts. Here's all my readings. Here's all my objectives. Here's all my significant events I have to plan for. And that's done. And then I just show up next week and go. And that allows me to just be present, you know, because um, I'm a I'm a thinker. Like if there's something to be solved, man, my brain is going to grind until it's done. So it's tactically that's the one way I, I kind of address some of the stuff that you guys are talking about. I will I will say for me on the weekend. So I do stay in a little bit. I have my intentional, you know, time with my with my girlfriend. She'll stay in bed till about nine, nine thirty. So when I come down at about seven, I've got some time by myself. And I will use that to do a shortened meditation, um, a shortened yoga practice, uh, my journaling, my gratitude practice. And then I will, I'll write, you know, I write seven days a week. And I think that's, 
I bring that up because that's not work to me. That's something yeah. that's just a critical component of my life that makes me, I feel, show up better for everything else. So I love writing seven days a week. And I think it's as long as we have that intentionality behind what we're doing and our habits and we know why we're doing it and you know we do the things that bring us joy, that's important. Yeah. You know, so I'm still... You know, she'll she'll say you work seven days a week, and I'm kind of you know I'm like eh, not really. <laughs> she's like you do. You're on the computer. I said, but it's writing. You know, that's not. And she's like, yeah, but you're a writer. That's your job, <laughs> or it's well, part of your job. Well, similarly, Craig, I'll tell you, like my four a.m. to eight a.m. is the same seven days a week. I'm getting up. I'm working out. I'm reading. I'm meditating. Uh, it, why? You know. Um, likewise, I know the value of all those things consistently, and I enjoy doing them and i know how i feel if i don't get up and do them like i i, I value my sleep I, I try to make sure i get seven so if for some reason i've got a late night went to a wedding last week got back late i'm gonna slide on that because i know i feel like crap when i run on four or five um so that's the only time i'll really slide but i i stay consistent for my four to eight every day with my workout and reading because one i enjoy it i know it's it's serving me and I'll go so far to say I will work on a Saturday if it's required and I'm intentional about it. Like sometimes I go, man, I'll, I'll do my Friday and go, man, I do not feel good about this. Like, and I'll go, okay, tomorrow, eight to 10, eight to noon, whatever it is. But again, the keyword for the weekends and after hours, I'm very intentional. I'm like, this is specifically why I'm working tomorrow mm -hmm. and exactly what I'm going to get done and why, right? Because like to your point, like you, you do have to challenge yourself if you're rolling into the weekend, there's more work to be done. Like RJ was talking about with ultra habits. The question starts with, can it wait? Yes or no. And unless there's a real reason it can't wait, um, you know, so that's, that's to me is the litmus test. Like, can this wait? And then I'll maybe look at a week and go, man, if I, if I don't do this tomorrow, I'm never going to get to it next week. And those, those are my kind of litmus tests that I will set aside time and get some stuff. But again, it's all about me feeling good about myself, right? Because like you said, equally, if I if I've got that cloud lingering over me that into Saturday that there's something lingering and I don't know when I'm gonna get to it, it's, it's the subconscious mm. is gonna take over. Go I'm with you guys. Good. Is that 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 enough for this round? I think so. I think so. I think we covered a lot of good ground, and I think for me, I mean, it just one word that just kept kept coming up is just intentionality. Yeah. You know, I think that is just like for me out of this conversation, such a takeaway. You know, I, I feel that I'm intentional in what I do, but I feel your both of your perspective on it has really helped me sharpen that. So I want to thank both of you on that because I feel I feel a, a new perspective on an intention. So thank you. Well, thanks yeah. for that, Craig. And I think the reason that we're talking about intention so much is what can be taken away from this conversation is that whilst our systems and processes may be different, we have one. And life, in fact, my interview being released today is with Jack Daly, uh, who's written a new book called Life by Design. And he's become like a pseudo mentor for me. Like in one of the things I really respect about him and I look up to him for is he lives with his own frame. He is very, very uh, assertive in what he does, why he does what he does, and he examines his shit continuously. And I think that's what we're talking about here is we all have a life by design. And 
that's important for anyone that's a performer and someone that wants to get to the peak of whatever that looks like within their realm is they've got intention and they're not just floating around like a you know fart in a bottle right like you know as they say so uh, anyways <laughs> who says that i don't know my dad <laughs> my dad says that my dad is really a fart in a bottle <laughs> that's that was a new one to me but i plan on using it yeah <laughs> Oh, man. The problem is I'm going to tell my teenager that probably when it goes, man, you're just a fart in a bottle. (laughs) (laughs) No, man. I love it. Hey, good news, bad news, man. Good news. That was awesome. Uh, Bad news. I think we got more. So we'll have to circle up, see if we can get another one going. Because I think, like, I don't know about you. I feel like there's still still another layer in this onion somewhere. Because we we still were very, we were like, we went from uh, theory. I think we're a lot of of strategy here. And I think we haven't even yet dug into i know greg's a craig's a journaler and like there's so much more man so uh hopefully we can find time and get another part Let's do it again and, man i appreciate Absolutely. you guys it, it. it's awesome 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 conversation man i appreciate you guys i love and respect you guys and everything you're doing and, and especially in serving others man you guys are doing great work and and, and i'm honored to know you guys so so thank you for Vice that person. thanks guys absolutely cool, guys. thank you dale thank you rj yeah, All right. thanks, guys. Next time. thanks dale see you guys yeah. cheers, cheers.